what we're seeing isn't anything new. It's just been exposed in a very raw and, and visceral way where we can just see it so much. We're just seeing all of it. Um, but ugliness has been around since being of mankind. Welcome what up? to the Habits of the Field. What we got for them? Where we discuss habits, rituals, and mindset tactics that you can use to reach your version of success. Yeah. And now, here's your host, Mona Bolfi. I'm so glad someone captured this in a way where it will actually show people how we have been behaving as a society. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually part of the, how do we say this? I don't want to say strategy in terms of uh, it being manipulative, but that's part of the importance of awareness, right? Before anybody can create a, a solution to anything in order to have the right solution or the right path forward, you have to have a legitimate awareness of the current position we're in. And that's part of the project is to create the awareness of where we are right now and fill in some of the blanks when, when people ask, well, how did we get here? You know, and, and if you know how you got there and if you know where you are, if you can clearly articulate where we want to go, then you know the path to get there. But if you don't have those three things in place, then we're just going to keep repeating over and over and over. And that's what we've been seeing. So that's part of the project, man. And I, I want to dive into this deeper as, or as wide as you want, because um, this has been something I've just dedicated the last year of my life to, for sure. So let's start with the, the most generic question, which is, why did you do it? Yeah, okay. The full me- spectrum, though. Okay, let me, I'll tell you just kind of the chronological order of how it all went down, actually, yeah. you know, as, as everyone was starting to get locked down, and, and we went through that whole rigmarole. Um, and then after um, the incident with, with George Floyd, um, the, everybody's world got kind of turned upside down. And my daughter um, came to me and she said, Dad, there's, there's going to be a peace rally here uh, where we live. Can we go to it? And I had been going downtown some, and I had been seeing some of the destruction, the violence had started off, and I had, you know, kind of seen uh, the initial violent reaction to it. And and I looked at my daughter, I'm like, absolutely. Like, as a dad, this is an amazing time for us to talk and connect about racism and social injustices and prejudices and, and all these sorts of things that, that you know, provide an environment for me and my daughter to talk about, and my son too, but she was the one that really wanted to, to go and explore so we did. We went down and we went to this peace rally and there's you know, thousands of people there. And, and it, was a, it was a peaceful march. It was one of those where I heard stories of people in my community from people of color. Um, and most importantly, the ones that affected me the most were the parents talking about some of the incidences that their children had gone through. And specifically, there was a seven-year-old girl who she grabbed the microphone and for thousands of people and talked about how she'd been made fun of because of her brown skin. She's from a mixed race family and she had curly hair and whatnot. And I just started crying. Like I just, I was holding my daughter's hand. Oh, I'm going to get all emotional again. I just, but I, it just hit me like really hard how gross that is. Honestly, at, at that level, how, how disgusting racism is and prejudices of all kinds. And so we had that day together and we started exploring. And then I started seeing some more that was happening downtown and I had been going down there and I have a bunch of friends that are police officers. And, and but I've, I've been really active in, in the schools community here and really active with the city and youth. And so for the last few years, I've been conducting these youth town halls where we have kids from the local high schools come together. It's just me and just hundreds of these 
youth, these teen leaders, and I provide them an environment over at City Hall here where they're able to get uh, things off their chest and they're able to have a conversation. I just moderate a conversation amongst all these teens. And then it evolved where I was going down and doing it at the state level. So we we're doing the state level talent halls youth. So um, it was the youth leaders from high schools across the entire state were coming down and we were putting together these these days and these workshops and I was working with them on leadership and whatnot. We had the governor there and former NFL players and whatnot. And they were, it was amazing, but, but I've really woven in kind of into the youth community here. So um, that next week, my phone started uh, to kind of blow up from some of these kids saying, Hey, I need to talk to you. I have questions. I need help. So I reached out to them and, and there was 10 in a row. And the similarity that all these 10 kids had is that their parents were police officers. But what these kids were being targeted for, they were receiving messages and death threats saying, hey, we're going to burn your house down because your dad's a cop. You Nazi, you know, bitch. Uh, even though th these were friends, like, like this one young woman, she had just taken her friend out on a boat two weeks before. And now this friend was messaging her, said, we can no longer be friends because your dad's a cop. You're a Nazi bitch. I can no longer be friends with you. Like this sort of thing. Wow. So I had these 10 kids over to my house and they didn't even know each other. And we just sat there and just kind of talked about how to deal with these sorts of things and, and with social media messaging and, and you know, uh, people's opinions and, and hate and trolls and all sorts of things. And I was just torn between these two worlds of, of really what was the right and the left really became a, a fight between, at that point in time, Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter, right? Just to sum it up in a, in a very elementary way. But just the right and left of back the blue versus, you know, racial injustices in my world, I hold two beliefs at the exact same time that that racial injustices and abuse of power is tragically ugly, just the same way as blanketing an entire um, community of police officers or their families in, 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 a, in a very discriminatory way. And, I, and I wasn't, it wasn't computing how this was all just going out in a very violent way. So I started going downtown and, and I just started talking to people. And then on the 4th of July, it got so violent here in Portland, obviously. On the 4th of July, I just, I literally woke up on the 4th of July and I grabbed the flag, the American flag off the front of my home. And I went downtown in the middle of the protesting where the elk statue had been burned and kind of become the symbol of a, of a, you know, position in the midst of all the chaos. And I, and I got on top of the elk and I put the fucking American flag right on the middle of the elk. And, and I did that knowing that the system was so broken, buddy, that like taking the American flag and putting it in an American city on the 4th of July, when that's controversial and dangerous, that that's a that's that could be more obvious that our entire system is broken, right? And and I didn't do that in order to make somebody feel bad or say you're right, you're wrong. It wasn't that. It was it was a moment where I was like, listen, everybody's just yelling at each other. Nobody is working with each other. Can we pause? And if we all agree that there's progress that needs to be made. It's in the moments of pause that give us the environment that we can create solutions, not in the moments of chaos. So it was, it was that moment. I did that. It caused a stink. I gave a little speech. It went pretty viral. Gave another speech the next day because, uh, of course, the flag I planted, you know, right after I left, was taken down and burned. So I gave another speech there the next day. And then Was it, it really? Oh, oh, man, of course it was. Of course. Yeah, of course. Oh, God. You know, it, it, I knew it would happen. And I stood there for, for quite a while. And then after I left within 15 minutes, I had somebody stay after and watch for me. And after within 15 minutes of me leaving, it was, it was taken down and burned. Um, so I went back the next day and I collected the ashes and I, I gave a speech about it. Um, and that speech also went pretty viral online. So then I kept thinking, well, now I have a, now I have a mission, you know, now I have 
an example to set for my kids instead of everybody sitting down and saying, oh, you know, just conveniently from the couch, man, everyone's like saying, well, this is what's going on. This is what I think about it. But yet they're not fucking doing anything. They're just sitting there. And everyone's like, well, I want them to fix it. Well, who's them? Like, in yeah. my world, like we're them, you know, like, like when you look in the mirror, like I'm they, them, that's us. That's we're the ones that need to fix this shit. So instead of just being, you know, debilitated by what could I do? I just started doing things. I started going downtown and talking to people and I was, I was feeding people, the protesters, I was feeding police. I was, I was having conversations. I was trying to get my feet on the ground instead of just, you know, my face behind a TV screen. And uh, so I ended up holding a peace rally um, downtown and on the waterfront. And uh, we can talk about that a little bit too, because that was a crazy thing at that point in time to deal with Antifa. And I got death threats and I had to have a, a, a team of Navy SEALs provide security. And it was crazy, man. It got crazy. Whoa, um, hold on. We got yeah. go to go back yeah. <laughs> real quick before you continue. Yeah. Okay. So you got death threats from Antifa. Were they in your face? Well, every, you know, at the time, yeah, I was very, I was very visual down there and I would go down there and I'd be surrounded by Antifa saying, Hey, you're a cop. We're going to, we're going to kill you. We're going to smoke you piggy piggy, like this kind of stuff. And I'm like, guys, I'm not a cop. I'm not not a cop. And they're, you know, five, six, eight, 10 guys around me. And I'm like, I'm not a cop. And I'm like, well, why are you even here? They're like, well, we're here for war. (laughs) And and I'm looking at this this point in time, these were young kids. And I'm like, buddy, you got to, five dollar pair of knee pads on and a and a used gas mask like you're not you're not ready for war my friend like this is not a war this is what we need to be doing is working together towards social justice that what you want yes but we need to burn the fucking system down like to what you know and then when there's this void like all they want is violence and then there's no solutions then i know that we have a big fucking problem so you know doing a doing an event downtown i knew i could only get some people uh, because it was really dangerous at the time but I wanted to do it downtown and prove a point that um, if you do it right and if you don't have your idea or your project or your voice set up as the only way it can exist or succeed is that another one fail, then I wanted to prove that point. So I, 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 I did a peace rally where I didn't demonize or make anybody else a hero. It was a stance on his own. And it was Oregonians for peace. And we had hundreds of people come. And at that time, man, if you remember, like everybody's like waving their American flags or waving their Antifa flags or waving their Black Lives Matter flags or waving the back the blue flags. And I said, I want everybody on all ends of the political spectrum to come. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put people on stage that don't look like me or think like me. I'm going to give them a microphone so we can hear from them, too. I'm going to give everybody a T-shirt or you can buy one and donate to help me pay for this thing because I was doing it all in my own pocket. And instead of bringing all of our flags and shouting each other, let's leave all that shit at home. And just unite for a day and listen to each other. And, and I did that peace rally there. And even as a peace rally, you know, I was getting death threats, right? Um, threatening my family, my businesses, me, you know, photos of me with my, you know, Photoshop with a bullet going through my head and all sorts of crazy shit, you know, just trying to do a peace, just trying to say, hey, I want to help everybody. I'm not here against anybody. I want to help. Even then, man, you know, it was so violent and vicious at the time that that, that was happening behind the scenes. See, that's that's the unfortunate thing you know i i've got i've got friends of all races and here's my and, and this is my perspective okay this is my dilemma with this whole thing to get to a point where you let yourself be manipulated 
I think it's like subconsciously you you're wanting some form of manipulation or some form of excuse. Let's replace manipulation with excuse, some form of excuse in order to, I guess, disregard your humanity and do whatever the fuck you want to do. And then using that excuse to propel you and creating a movement behind it. That's kind of how I looked at it. And it's like, to me, it was like society just stopped listening to themselves stopped actually using their brain and and let let like let the mob mentality control their everyday thinking so there's a bunch in there that i'd love to unpack just real quick please um, it, now when i start talking about this stuff man i want to i want to put a little caveat by this and a little asterisk by it um since you know june essentially I've divin- dove just straight into this. Like I'm talking, reading so many books on racism and history and slavery and political divide and psychology and, and watching um, um, documentaries after documentaries and reading studies and traveled across the entire country. You know, we've been documenting and filming in LA and Portland and Seattle and Kenosha and Washington, DC and Pennsylvania and all over the country attending riots and rallies and protests and and conducting interviews, dude, like hour long conversation, hours long conversations with everybody from the head of Black Lives Matter and Antifa and, and, and Black Panthers to, to the Proud Boys and Three Percenters, uh, to police on the streets, to chief of police from Washington, D.C. to L.A. to Portland, to like historians and experts. So I've, I have now this, this worldview that has completely changed me as a human being, like I'm not the same person when you and I talk, I think last summer when we did a podcast, I'm not the same human being I was then. And some of that's good and some of that's bad. But what you said was, was, was the start of a journey that if you keep going on, will change your perspective of humanity forever. You Enlighten know, me. when you start saying, and, it, and it's not enlightenment, like it's not, it's not like I'm smarter. I just done, I just spent more hundreds and hundreds of hours right at this point. So, right. But enlightenment isn't intelligence. It's wisdom. Okay. I just want to be real clear. I don't, I don't want to be absolutely no, I, no, absolutely. Because here's, here's the thing. Like I, I'm, I'm not a pacifist I know. and I'm not an extremist. Yes. I'm just a human being. I want to do the thing that I want to do. I moved to this, my family moved to this country because this is the greatest country on the planet earth. And that's what it was. That's, that was the cell. Right. Yeah. And I've had more opportunity here than I could have back in my home country. And that's the reality. Yeah. I think a lot of people take for granted what they've got. And and like this entire thing has been like a sci-fi movie to me. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to rationalize my thoughts well enough to be able to give an opinion on it. That's and that's actually very beautiful because that comes from a place of humility. And you're kind of rare, to be honest with you, because most people have decided what this all means, because that's the way that they can make sense of it, right? When they form an opinion of absolute, this is what I believe, this is what I don't believe, and I'm right and you're wrong. That's the way most people operate. So you've, you've had your success and you've, and you've had, you know, um, be able to form tight bonds with people and whatnot, because you have a sense of humility. I'm just, I'm just telling you about it. I'm not even trying to blow smoke up your skirt, but this is it's really good and refreshing to hear you say that. Um, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I don't think you're blowing smoke up my butt. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So let me go back to what you said. You were talking about, you know, people need an excuse to blah, 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 blah. Exchange the word excuse 
for morality. Okay. And what I found, buddy, is that people believe that the way they view the world is morally right, right? They have this sense of morality around them. And there's been some of these books I've been reading, like, for instance, called The Righteous Mind or I'd Have Impossible Conversations or back all the way back to, um, you know, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Ooh, good book. Right. And when somebody believes that they're morally right and they act upon those morals, like, let's say somebody protesting downtown. And if you read like The Righteous Mind and you read, since, you know, um, you know, Man's Search for Meaning, you'll start to understand that when somebody believes they're morally right and then somebody disagrees with them. That means the person that disagrees with them is morally wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you're morally wrong, that gives me the license to be violent against you, to cancel your business, to, to insult you, like all the things that we're seeing, right? It, it comes from this place of believing that they're morally right. And that's been very dangerous because people don't understand how mushy and, and transient morality is. And the morality that people carry around with them all day isn't actually like the spiritual sense of morality. It's the society construct of morality, right? And so since they're sitting this in this false sense of morality, that gives them the license to do the things that you're seeing on TV, including both right and the left. This is not a, this, this story that I'm working on, this documentary that I'm coming to work on now, you started off, man, it was about the protesting in Portland, then it was about Black Lives Matter, then it was about police brutality, and then mm-hmm. it became about racism, and then back to slavery. And, and the deeper I dug, the realize I, I recognize that is all just symptoms. None of those things are the problem. Mm-hmm. The, the real problem is that man is fallible. <laughs> and, and so the project, as you saw in the trailer, now has become about the morality, I'm sorry, about the fallibility of mankind. And we're just seeing expressions of those of that fallibility through contemporary actions. That's all that's happening. This has all been done before time and time at the end of centuries and civilizations and whatnot. So that's why when you watch the trailer, you got a sense it's not a political statement. It's not a villainizing of an ideology. It's an exploration of our human experiences. Right. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get I didn't get any negative connotation or any kind of one-sided connotation to me, it was a, a true documentary, just somebody, you documenting you and your team documenting the events that took place from different angles and different mirrors and different perspectives. And I, I cannot wait. And I say this genuinely, I cannot wait to see the full finished product. I, I thank you. This is the hard, it would have been really easy to even create a documentary that was a story because um, because there's lots of those. Yeah, most of but them are, I think. Most of them are, but the problem with this sort of thing right now and the reason why I decided to take on this project was because there's nothing that's being done outside of that. Everybody's making something that's, that's essentially just contributing the noise of propaganda, not intentionally, just because that's what they believe right? Mm-hmm. Well, shit, man, it's so easy to talk to people that already think like you, right? It's so easy to galvanize the people that already think like you. And it's so difficult to get people on the other side of whatever your beliefs are and get them to say, holy moly, I've never thought of it before. Tell me more. And that's what I'm trying to do with this project. It has nothing to do with telling my version. It just has to do with, with expressing all these ideas in a way that are, are packaged digestible that somebody says, hold on a second. I've never thought of it that way before. Tell me more. And, and if I can create that environment, then that creates sparks of inspiration and, and, and perspectives 
and and a path to do something that they didn't see before. So that's what I'm trying to do with the project, just to be perfectly honest with you. It looked like a Netflix production. It will. I was really impressed. Thank you. I I'm in a I come from a world of media. I was really impressed. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is insane. People are gonna think this is like a Netflix or a Hulu special or something. We've we've sat down. Uh, me, uh, Thissera is a director, by the way, um, and Leela is a production manager slash co-producer. I'm executive producer of my role, and we've just had so many deep conversations about the importance of making this world class. And so, like, we're filming this all in six K. We've got we've got sound engineers and color graders and and whatnot. That that when this when we produce this thing. It will be Hollywood level, Netflix level, whatever you want to say, HBO. I've talked to HBO and Sony and all that. Like it's, you know, it, it needs to be because that's how important this is. So this, yes, I hope, you know, it will be worthy of an Amazon and Netflix and whatnot. And, and once we're done with the project, we'll be talking to them about where the best distribution channels are. Yep, yep, yep. But I also want this worthy of Ivy League educational, like psychology classes. And I want this worthy of being watched by the highest levels of, of, of politicians. I want this be, to be able to be worthy of watch the, the highest level, you know, Fortune 100 companies but by their CEOs and their HR. Like, I want this to be something to where we can learn from, not just be entertained by. And originally it was like, hey, man, I want to I show how gross this is and this is violence. And we're, and we're actually, you know, putting people in harm's way and we're crashing their businesses and we're destroying cities and, and, and those very surface level things. I want to change their mind. I'm really, I, I was like, dude, but people find out they have cancer and yet they, they keep smoking. You know, I can't change that person's mind. So I need to have something that's that, yes, entertains everybody and shows things in such a visceral way, like you saw in the trailer, but also packs the intellectual punch that can actually affect influencers and people of, of any sort of power on any level at all. That's that's how we're so focused on on making this world class. I love it. I wanted to ask you a question. This kind of struck me. I was thinking about it. You're you're giving it an opportunity to be able to show things as they are versus what certain media outlets want you to believe. Right. Having them focus through a specific lens. Yeah. What's your take on because, God, I was just thinking about what you said earlier. You said that instead of thinking of it as excuses, think it think of it as morality. And we all grow up. And we, we have our own lens, right? We have our own belief system. Our, our environment dictates that our upbringing, our cultural differences, our, you know, our community, it all plays a role of how we view things. That's why you see like the story of, you know, rags to riches, the, the people that are able to break out of, uh, of, of an environment that is so toxic in order to make something of themselves. Well, what they had to do to get there, they had to shift their belief system. Right. They had to start thinking differently, whether through books, whether through associations, mentorship, whatever the case may be. You have to start creating a new lens to look at of, Right. In order for you to start seeing things differently. If you don't believe you're going to make a million bucks then you're not going to make a million bucks. If you don't believe you're a good person, then you're probably not going to be going to be a good person. And you're not going to put your uh, best foot forward in order to become that person that you want to become, whatever that is. Right. And yeah. so my thing is, is that. Do you think that the media is is capitalizing on people's belief systems and leveraging those lenses and then 
essentially the word that I'm looking for is, um, oh gosh, I'm completely drawing a blank. Like manipulation or you go down that path or where you go? Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. In a sense, like just leveraging that, leveraging okay. that and, and, and knowing that it's there and just using it in their favor. Do you think that, because if that wasn't the case, then, you know, would, would the black lives matter movement have been started? Would Antifa have started Would I feel like every media channel or outlet has created a stigma by identifying or I guess specifically targeting people with with belief systems that are in line with what they want to pursue, right? Their agenda and then and then maximizing that and then essentially profiting from it on some level. Super deep question. The answer is 100% yes, but I'll explain just a little bit, a little bit deeper. Um, you know, when you really dive in, even the the physiology and the, and the mechanics of the way our brains work, mm-hmm. and then we understand, we we go from that. Like, let's say you study medicine, you, you understand neuroscience, understand how your physical brain works, and then we kind of go through the human element of how we experience the world, and we and you realize that we experience the world through our emotions. And the emotions that we feel represent the way we experience the world. And that's why everybody can remember where they were on 9-11. Yeah. Because it was an intense emotion. Mm-hmm. And that's why your, your memory and your, and your experiences are all tied together. So logic, logic doesn't move the needle, right? Logic doesn't inspire people. Logic doesn't create uh, movements. Emotions do. So when we understand that the competing nature between our logic side of our brain and our emotional side of our brain, and we understand from just your marketer, right? You don't, you don't, you know, create your marketing schemes and strategies and, and, and tactics to apply to somebody's logic brain, right? You move them in the, with their emotions. Facebook does it. Algorithms of all social medias mm-hmm. do it. All media does it. But what's happened is people don't recognize how hijacked their emotions are. Okay. And most of the people's emotional responses are irrational to the realities of what's actually happening because they're hijacked. Now, this isn't something like, I'm not saying people are weak or whatever. This is just humanity because we experience life through emotions. And yet we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded by what to believe, not how to think for yourself, not how to think critically, right? Not the facts, but and news, buddy, news used to be where we could go learn about what happened and then we got to decide for ourselves how we feel about it. Now news is we're going to tell you what to feel and how outraged to be. And then you got to go sort through all the fucking noise to find out what actually happened. Right. That's where we are now. So because all this news and this media is coming at us through the lens of emotion, that's why we're so fucked. Honestly, that's why we're so fucked. I mean, it's kind of similar to like like you've ever I'm sure you have where. You had this moment. Let's say it's the first time you kissed a girl. I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, right? Like, and this we'll and this that. song and this song came on, right? Yeah. The yeah. song came on, and now every time you hear that song, it's like you remember that moment. Absolutely. It is an emotional connection. Absolutely. And I, it's it's just so morally wrong. It can be. It can be if if it's, used if used for not good right if used for to benefit agendas that are not in line with unity of society 
Yeah. And we actually, our last team meeting last night or the night before actually was about journalism specifically. We debated the morality of it and we also debated the responsibility of it. Yeah. And we sit there and we'll go around and around and around and, and some of the responsibility is, all right, well, how much of the responsibility is on these media outlets and how much of the responsibility is on the consumer, right? And so I was actually playing devil's advocate because they were kind of bashing you know, media and whatnot, which is very easy to do. And I was like, yeah, but where do you put the consumer in terms of the, this hierarchy of responsibility? You know, like how, how hard is it to actually turn the TV off or turn off your social media? Well, now it's almost impossible because we're actually physically addicted to it. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're now talking about not just the manipulation of it, but we're actually talking a deep psychological and physiological addiction to this stuff. You know, when you get likes and there's all the studies about when you get likes and views and stuff, and there's little releases of dopamine and oxytocin. And that's a scary thing. Oh, yeah. Right? So it's an addiction to this stuff. So this is this is that this is that part where I, where I mentioned earlier about the irrational emotional reaction compared to the reality, that's why it's gone that far. Yeah. So when you, when you actually like read studies about people like brain damage and there's, you know, certain like uh, brain injuries where it removes people's ability to feel emotion. Yeah. Well, what you find in those people, like physically, they don't feel emotion anymore. Right. Well, they're unable to make a decision because decisions can't just be justified with only your logic right? We, we, we think about it through all the lens of emotion and we justify it with logic. You do that with buying, you do that with homes and real estate and all this sorts of things. You, you do that constantly. So when your emotion's gone, it's really hard for people to make a decision. So emotion's hypercritical. What but people don't understand is the detachment they need to have from emotion to reality. They, they have to be observers more and nobody's observing. They're just in it. You know, we're just in it uh, and, and hijacked by it and, and told what to be outraged by. And, and the echo cham- chamber is formed by social media and at work is just getting worse and worse. And so, you know, it, that's a whole other topic. But yes, you, you are right. Um, but it's a business. <laughs> so, you know, like, right, right, it's a business. And, and we're consumers of the business. Um, yep. You know, and, and when people watch The Social Dilemma, for instance, one of the you know documentaries out there and. And when you hear the quote that, well, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. There you go. Yep. So. Man. The, the hard truth, huh? Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing that I start. This is why I was like, hey, when you mentioned kissing a girl, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's talk about something else. Because it's, it's, <laughs> it's so deep and heavy. But at the same time, it's so fucking empowering. Yeah. And, and I want people to really hear that. Like, like when you, when you turn the corner of realizing actually what's happening to you, and then you can use that, you're not, you're not, you know, depressed by it. You're not frustrated by it. You're not, you know, down by it. It doesn't give you a pessimism, but when it empowers you to turn that dark, I'll just say dark information into something beautiful. That's what I'm doing with this movie, this project and a book I'm writing. And it's, it's, I want to turn all this that was really putting me down the dumps, man, like really hurt me, like seeing people do what they did to each other and. Um, and you start to get a sense when you watch the trailer, the things I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've been literally on the streets watching people get, you know, beat up by 20 people and shot and stabbed. I was at the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, DC on January 6th when that happened. I mean, I was right physically there watching the cops and everyone get, it, 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 <sighs> I've seen too much to be honest. Um, but but I'm trying to use all that darkness to create something beautiful. 
And, and that's where I, I'm hoping, and with a team of people that don't think like me, I'm hoping to provide an example of how people that don't think like each other, Leela and me are on the exact opposite ends of the political spectrum, and we butt heads and we respect the shit out of each other because we're trying to be an example of working together um, instead of fighting each other. So uh, that's the product. Oh, shoot. So the peace rally is talking about, that's how I met these guys, by the way. The oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Thissera, the director, when, when the George Floyd protests started kicking off, the second day he just started going downtown and just started filming. And they went down again and again and again. So he'd been filming every night since night two. So we're the only film crew that's filmed everything since all this is going on across the country. Um, so when he saw me doing the peace rally, he recognized I was trying to find a middle ground. I wasn't, I wasn't fighting for one right or my belief. I was trying to fight for everybody's belief. We just, he was going to interview me for the project. And then we just started talking and then he asked me to come on as executive producer. So that's how I met them. That's how I met them actually. That's incredible. I yeah. wanted to ask, how old is your daughter? daughter's 15. So at 15 years old, she is intuitive enough and intelligent enough to understand the injustice that's been taking place in the world, the, the shift of balance and just the plain chaos that has been destroying us from the inside. You've got one remarkable child. She, um, both my kids are, are she is, um, you know, she's a, just a, not quite two years older. So she has a little bit more experience, but the thing about her and me is she really, really understands my style of parenting where it's all about empowering her to think for herself. And she really understands that when she asks me a question, I'm going to guide her to curate all of the information and then help her decide not to tell her what to think or what I think. And she's come to really, really respect that. And that's how she views other people now. So when she's engaging in the world, she has no agenda with needing her view of the world to be projected on anybody else. You know, she's incredibly empathetic to understanding that she's never walked in their shoes. She, she, she has the humility that when she speaks up, she doesn't have, it doesn't take courage. Like we've had these conversations recently because I'll get all the time, man. It takes courage to do what you do. It takes courage to put yourself out there. It takes courage to do these interviews. It takes courage to make the posts you post. And I'm like, if you think it takes courage, that means you want to do battle. You know, like if you think it takes courage, that means you're looking to fight or prove people wrong. I don't look at it that way or because that's not even sustainable, right? <laughs> that, that sounds depressing and, and exhausting. Mm-hmm. Like to, to me, and when I teach my kids about speaking up or saying what you mean, it comes from a place of humility that you're always going to talk like you're right. And then you're going to listen like you're wrong. You're always going to be more interested in the truth than you are in being right. And then it's not exhausting. Right. And then, and then you can find out who's actually interested in creating solutions and having dialogue versus who's just interested in debate to win. And, and so she can see that now. You know, she can see that in just general conversations. She can see it in her teachers, buddy. You know, she's, she's starting to understand that when a person of authority stands in front of you, she's now able to discern the difference between an opinion and a fact coming from a place of authority. So I'm empowering to do that because that's the world she's going to live in. You know, everyone's going to come across as if they're right and it's not an opinion and everyone's confusing their opinions as facts. So yeah, she's gained this, this really kind of worldly view even at just 15 14 years old so i'm really proud of her i think it's uh it's something to talk about because here's the deal 
the society that we live in today, if things continue to spiral out of control, do we want to, do we want to repeat the process of 2020 for the next two, three decades? And that is, so the, the foundation of the project is if we all feel so morally right, how do we begin to listen to each other? And then the follow-up question is what happens if we don't? Yeah. And then the other thing is that I think most people just want to be in a position to blame somebody or something. Why not? That's easy. Yeah. You know, like that. I call that the victim mentality, my friend. It totally is. And, and before I was kind of put off by it or I was frustrated by it, or I was disgusted by it, whatever, fill in whatever your word. Now I just know it exists. And and no longer am I like, oh man, they're a victim. No, it's just, it's, we're just all these really fallible, fucked up people. They're just doing the best we can with what we know. And, right. and, and so many people as parents just simply realize that they're just dealing with all their childhood dramas and baggage and shit. And I just want to say, Hey, just don't be a reason that your kid needs to get counseling. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but, I mean, that's the truth. That's the reality, but why repeat the freaking process? That's it. Like we just, we need to heal. So our kids don't need to heal from us. Right. Like that sort of just awareness and humility is, is lacking. I, you know, when we, when we live in a society now where people don't think that you have anything good, unless you brag about it. Yep. Right? That's fucked. Yeah. Right? Um, when, when it's, when it's a competition for things, that's fucked, right? When, when we've lost sense of what real happiness is, that's fucked. And, and I think social media for that though, you know, I, and, and I've actually done all this research of actually physically where it started and, you know, like down to the studying of understand what happened when they've created the like button, what happened when they created the retweet button, right? Like, you can actually go back to history to very specific things that completely change the trajectory of, of humanity completely. And so because the rate of change is so exponential and yet our human brain evolution is so slow, that's why we have this massive disconnect and everyone's feeling this, just such confusion about what it means. And that's why I've gone away from the idea that I want to create a better world for my children. And I'm just, I'm, I'm in the mode of creating children that can handle any world. Like that's where I'm at right now as a parent. Um, that's that, that is, that is a much better plan. I mean, cause if you can create children that, that I don't want to say just have thick skin, but can navigate this treacherous world because it, it it's in my opinion, Eric, and this is just me yeah. when I was a child to now minus minus the technology minus the opportunity all of that stuff as from a moral stance from a from a from from being you know serving others to self-service um it has degraded i really believe that and go ahead no no please no, please i didn't mean to interrupt please go no, i mean that that was pretty much it i felt i feel like i feel like we have we have, we have made a lot of strides in things, but, but, but at a cost of pieces of our humanity or, or this, uh, this could be the caveat is that it is just the world that we live in today has just been able to give us outlets to expose who we really are. Now, buddy, explore that because that is what I, my belief aligns up with your last sentence right there. Okay, so it's these moments where we actually see, for instance, buddy, like like when you have a um, 
let's say an NFL team wins a championship, right? And a, and a normal civilized town all of a sudden erupts into chaos, right? And people are flipping cars and lighting fire. Yeah. And, all right, right? Like, yeah. like if just if just a sports team winning is I the just thin pictured you crust, flipping. A, I just pictured you flipping a car. Right. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like there's such a thin layer of crust between civility and chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And if that can be disrupted by just sports, right. We're, oh, yeah. we're also seeing that in politics and social media and whatnot. Right. So that that's just, but that's been in us since we were human, like since we became humans, whatever you believe, however we got here, like that's always been the case. That's, that's always been the case. So what we're seeing isn't anything new. It's just been exposed in a very raw and, and visceral way where we can just see it so much. We're just seeing all of it. Um, but ugliness has been around since being of mankind, you know, like, yeah. you know, even when you study all the way back and people are like, oh, well, you know, when he went from nomads to farmers, life got better. And actually the life expectancy of mankind went down by five years because when people were farmers and one farm and village would run out of food or that have a crop that you know, got disease or whatever, they'd go kill the other village and take all their food. <laughs> Right. That's, that's, that's humanity. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So it, it's just in us, but, but instead of ignoring it, I just think you just need to take that and make something beautiful out of it. So with, with my kids, it's more about just being an observer of it. It's not about, it's not about judging it. You know, it's not about deciding what it means. It's about observing it and then taking to make it a better thing, a better version of you. And in chaos creates massive opportunity. It creates opportunity to serve at a higher level. It creates opportunity yep. to, to, to be more successfully financially. It creates tons of opportunity in chaos. So um, I'm trying to get them to be optimistic about this chaotic world. Do you ever think, do you ever think out loud? Like I'll give you an example. So my wife thinks I'm very opinionated mm-hmm. and my definition is, is not that my definition of what I do is I notice the things and when I notice the things I'm basically saying it out loud. And then I'm, I'm thinking about it in my brain. Like what, why is this situation happening or why is this person doing that or whatever the case may be? It's almost like I'm trying to, it's like, I'm almost trying to break down the fragment of reality, which is in front of me. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you ever like, do you ever catch yourself or have you been catching yourself? Is that part of your, your journey and into this path of really diving down this rabbit hole is just questioning everything. You, you question everything, but, but, but with the understanding that you only get the quality of answer representative of the quality of question that you ask. So when people are like, well, why are they so mean? Or why is Trump doing that? Or why is the left this way? Or what? You're going to get a shitty answer that doesn't lead you to any results or lead you to any you know, better insight or anything. Okay, so how do you ask better questions? So you have to ask better questions because what you need to do is understand what you're trying to achieve by, by, by being curious about it. So, so by people- understanding what the outcome is. So first understand what you want the outcome to be before you ask a question. And therefore that could help formulate the question. And yes. And at the same time, realizing if you're asking questions just to serve your ego. Ah, there it is. Okay. So people really want to confirm that they're right. Yep. So they're going to pick the questions that confirm that they're right. <laughs> right. Yep. 
And that comes from a place of ego. That doesn't come from the place of humility or, or from service. And so most of the questions that are asked internally, and this is not even intentional. This is just like we walk around like, oh, why is this happening to me? Or why can't I lose the five pounds? Or why is my boss so mean? Right? Those are the questions that just people, because they haven't practiced asking themselves better questions because they're just sitting in their ego. Okay, so let's say this. Let's say if 20% of the population that, mm-hmm. that have been drawn to the extremes, whatever route they took, right? Antifa, BLM, Trump sucks, whatever the case may be, right? If 20% of each one of those, let's just say communities for the sake of this conversation, um, were able to have some sort of sense of completely letting go of their ego, would you say that their perspective and their perception would completely shift? Yes. Yeah. No question. How, how, how can we convey that message? People are, I think a person is very, I mean, we're habitual creatures, right? Yeah. And, but it's very, very tough to create new habits. Absolutely. Once we create them, once we develop them and block them in, they're set, but it's like going against going against the grain. It's like climbing uphill. Nobody wants to do it. It's tough. It's hard. Why am I doing this in the first place? Absolutely. <clears throat> so, cause like my thing is, I think, I think people are trying, I think people in their head because of the morality, they, they believe they're doing the right thing. Absolutely. With, you know, with the black lives matters movement with this, with that, yeah. whatever. <clears throat> and let's just say right now that yes, prejudice exists. Racism Absolutely. exists. Okay, that that is the gospel truth. Now, does that mean that everyone's a racist? Does that mean that every police officer is a bad police officer? Does that mean that our government, everyone in our government is is shady and this, that? Absolutely not. That's like saying that you're absolutely perfect and you cannot do no wrong, no harm or anything. That is ludicrous. Absolutely. You know, so. Like what, I guess, what triggers the, the extremists to completely just shift to one side without even thinking logically? I understand the emotion is a big part of it, but, but, but you're an adult, like you're a grown up. You've lived, let's say, 20, 30 years on this earth. You have to be able to conjugate some form of understanding of the world that you live in. No, you would think, but then you realize, but then you realize that there's people with 20 years experience that are a lawyer or that are working in a warehouse and yet somebody comes in the first day and is better than them. And, and, and you start to realize that experience has no relevancy to competency, you know? And, and so a 50 year old man or woman doesn't necessarily mean that they actually know more than a 20 year old, right. Or millennial Gen Z or boomer. And then, so, you know, yes, in theory, you're right. But when you actually like look at the applied theory in the world, you realize it's wrong. You know, is it, and, is it intelligence or is just, competency there's actually there's that's actually one of the things that i've really come to understand is how intelligence does play in all this and i really didn't give it any credibility before but yes because there is a level of intelligence that it does take to have some sort of self-awareness and so the reason why i'm doing you you, you, you just said, said the magic word you just said the magic word which one i have, I have to cut you off self-awareness yeah yeah that and, is a big 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 one and that's a big one. And, and when that's the reason why I'm doing the project to go back to that is because be, when you're talking about, like, I believe this way, my morality and, and so on and so forth. And then the only way to gain new perspective is if there's a pattern interrupt. 
Okay. Like when you say like, it's, it's hard to want to break a pattern. It's hard to want to, you know, to create new habits that only happens when your pattern is interrupted. And I'm trying to do that through narrative through the documentary in a book, because if I can provide that pattern interrupt, then maybe I sparked a moment of self-awareness where if I can show how gross what is actually happening, happening, not to villainize it, but right. to actually put it in front of your face and say like, is this the world you want to live in? Is this the world you want your kids to live in? Is this the world you want your grandma to see? Like, is this the world in front of your face in high color, in, in, in high definition and broad? Like, is this the world that we want? And if not, then stop. You know, most of the people in the streets, honestly, are younger kids, you know, all yeah. across the country, all these protests and riots and whatnot. And, 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 and I will say that there are absolute pure intentions of some of the people in the streets and there are absolute evil intentions of some of the people in the streets. Mm-hmm. It isn't one or the other. It's 100% both, right? The things we've documented are both beautiful and pure as well as evil and maniacal for sure. So one of the biggest disconnects I had from media to what's to something I actually experienced was at the Capitol on the 6th. You know, that was the first time where I actually came back when I, cause I now I've been to hundreds of these, right. All across the country and been, like I said, shot at and see people stabbed. I've been shot with rubber bullets and pepper spray. I've been tear gas more times than I can even tell you. And, and, you know, come back and watch the news, watch the news the next day. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like some of that's true. Some of it's not, but that day, when I got back and I saw what I saw and we've documented what we documented and we got back and we turned on the news, the Airbnb, and it wasn't even over yet. And everybody was reporting with such finality. I, I, we all three of us started crying. It's we, it just because it's so maniacal, right? To, to literally take something that's historical and then make it be something is not just purely because you need likes, views, and fucking clicks. Yep. Instantly. And, and that's our fucked up world, right? And I mean, that's pretty much it. You wrapped it up in a nice little package. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is. So my question to you, Eric, is who, who the fuck is in charge of that? Is it just media conglomerates? Is there somebody higher up? Like, my question has always been, because again, I will repeat what I said. I don't feel I have enough information to be able to provide a true opinion on this. But at the same time, I always question, Who's pulling the strings? Not for blame's sake, just for for information, just so that I understand. Is there someone pulling the strings, or is it just, or is it just what our society is now? You well, know, to, to to sound cliche for a second, you know, like we do forget a lot about this personal responsibility. And the, my first response is, you're pulling your own fucking strings. You know, true. All the true. strings. Yep. You, you, nobody has power over you that you don't give them. There, you know, your social media doesn't have power over you that you don't give it. You have to physically log in. You have to have your phone on you, right? You have to log in your web browser. You have to turn the TV on, right? right. You have to engage in conversation with people. You're so in your fucking right. Yep. So I don't want to be cliche, but I'm telling you, like, there, there needs to be this personal accountability, personal responsibility. Instead of just blaming this technology or blame, none of this shit would exist if we no, because it's a double-edged sword. It's it's meant to be good, but it could yep. also be used for bad. Absolutely. So if you let it. So from there. I'll tell you this, I, I haven't found a good way to explain this yet. And I haven't found a good way to write it down yet. So I'm just trying to jump, like let this garbled mess come out of me that what people are more concerned about and what they have been concerned about is what's right and wrong, right and wrong, right and wrong. What's right and wrong, right and wrong. I'm trying to find a way to articulate that it's not about that, that you actually have to dig in, understand it and, and realize that what's more important is who we let decide what is right and wrong. 
yeah. well, what we're letting decide is right and wrong. Because we're, that's just a gray area right now. That's it. It's and too be- gray of an area. And because like we see in cancel culture and PC culture, that's a, that's a virus. Oh God. Yes. It's a oh, virus. Brother. It, Hallelujah. It's, just, it's like, Holy moly. Like you're literally now, like now this mob is going to take over and, and just cancel this person or this business or whatever. When two weeks ago it was fine or a month ago it was fine. Or when somebody else does it, it's fine. Like, yep. Yep. That's Which- gross bro. And then that leads to, have you seen, and again, this is just my own belief because this is not how I was raised and I find it utterly disgusting. And again, I want to preface this with saying this isn't about sexual orientation. What you believe in, who you love, that's your business. Kudos to you. But the feminism of straight men in our society is it's like it, it is another virus to me. I'm seeing it and it's starting to spread. And it and it. I don't want to get into this big debate, but I feel like it's part of the puzzle and I'm seeing it more and more often. These straight men dressing like women and becoming more beta and then the women stepping up, they're taking on the men role. And it's like I just see our society just starting to flip flop, not to say that the woman is submissive and the man is the leader of the house and this and that. I'm not talking that ancient. Right. Or or or, you know, archaic or barbaric or anything like that, just from the sense that I feel like. We have shifted, like you said, the PC culture, we have shifted in from, from knowing our roles as human beings. Okay. Whatever your religious denomination is. Okay. I'm a Christian. Okay. The women is our rib, the men's rib. She is there to compliment him. The man is not supposed to blah, 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 so on and so forth. That is my belief. But at the same time, you're starting to see it spread, spread like social media and media and all this kind of stuff. And it's only it's adding the way that I look at it is that it's, it's it's just adding fuel to the fire. And this is my whole perception. It it would be so much better that if we all just promote what we love versus bashing on what we hate. For sure, that would solve a lot of our problems, not to say that I'm bashing on the feministic thing. I just see that as as a stigma and it's and it's and it's spreading and it's all it's doing is adding more fuel to the fire of everything else that's taken place. And now you have to be careful of what you're saying with the proper noun verbiage, whatever the case, otherwise you're going to start offending people. And everybody now is offended. It, I, let's like, you just said something a second ago that actually goes back. I, I know even like mother Teresa said, it's like, if you invite me to an anti-war rally, I'm not going to come, but if you invite me to a peace rally, I'll be there. You're right. It's the same concept. Yeah. Right. And and like going back to parenting for a second, when we're talking about this, this PC culture, I describe it to my, to my kids as a place of entitlement where, where entitlement is as big of a disease as anything where I need my worldview to be seen by you and heard by you and appreciated by you. And when we all walk around with a sense of entitlement, that's why we have a sense of divide. And I think, and I think that's what it is. It's not so much that I'm bothered by the feministic thing or the PC or whatever. I think what it bothers me now that I'm thinking of it out loud and as you're showing me some clarity, what bothers me is that there is that sense of entitlement. Like, okay, if that's what you want to do, do it, but don't impose it on me. And and the thing that gets confused with some of these movements is that the, the, the quest for inclusivity specifically you automatically engage in exclusivity yeah. <laughs> by, by yes. default. And, and that hypocrisy and that, and that mirrored 
problem with those ideologies don't get don't get told because here's the reason why buddy when we go back to our conversation before about we experience the world through emotion that's why a lot of people don't actually want to find a real solution because if so they're left emotionally unsatisfied if if you are no longer outraged and able to be a warrior for something because it gets solved through logic and real solutions then what's your identity then what do I do? Then what do I feel about? It? Then what do I get? Then I got to be showed what next to be outraged by, right? So there's a real problem where people don't want to find a problem because or a solution because they don't understand how addicted they are to having a problem. They don't understand how addicted they are to needing to feel that sense of outrage because when you come to them with a real solution, it's like, oh, that's why. Because you yeah. don't want to find a fucking solution because then you, your identity wouldn't match your outrage. Yep, 1,000%. And then the issue is, is that now everybody... Uh, what was I going with this? Uh, the, the issue with that also that ties into it is that people are afraid to say what they truly feel, because if they if they said and acted what they truly felt, it wouldn't match what they were trying to do, like on social or this facade that they're creating. Right. The solution of themselves or this figment of themselves that they want to be or whatever the case may be. And, and, and maybe, but, but I'll say, I think that people are, are okay with saying what they feel, but they haven't yet asked themselves why they feel what they feel. Okay. So they feel it and they'll say it, but they're not saying, well, why do I feel that way? Did, did I even, did my dad teach me that? Did I see that posted somewhere? It, like there's not, and we go back to that self-awareness thing. There's not really a lot of questioning if the way you view the world is actually serving you. That, right? that's, it, a, that's the thing. I see people saying they 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 say what they feel, but it's a facade. I feel like they say what they feel because that's what they think people should hear them say versus right. what they truly want to say. Right. Right. Because tribes are important. And and just from our sense, our primal brains of like for survival, that we need to be surrounded by other people and being alone is dangerous. Like, yeah. And like, what I want to be it. like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I get it. It, it. I'm not trying to demonize it. I'm just trying to say that when we look around. And we look at what the results are. If these aren't the results that we want, then we got to do something different. It's to me, it's that simple. It, it's not because I think that what I think is right. I just like, what's the cause and effect? Well, shit, we're not happy. Nobody seems to be happy where we're at now. Well, how do we get there? Well, then we can't keep doing that shit. And if we do, it's just going to get worse, right? That's how kind of simple I think about it. Um, and the same thing with college, the same thing with schools, the same thing with parenting, the same thing with racism. Like, like you know, like it's just, a, I just look at the stats. I look at the figures. Like, this is what we've been doing. Cool. That's what it produced. Cool. Do we like it? Yes. Then keep doing it. We like it. No, then don't keep doing it. Let's find a new way. That's literally what I'm just trying to promote is that level of just like honesty about it. That's it. I, I will say now that we've had this conversation, you are a different person than when we first talked about a year ago. And I mean that in the most positive way. Here's the thing about wisdom. I called you. I said to enlighten me because I said that you're enlightened. You know, wisdom is what a culmination of, of experience, knowledge and good judgment. You cannot get those things. You cannot get those attributes um, without without actually diving deep yeah. and asking the right questions and, and having those thought provoking experiences and and seeing all sides of the story. Most people, because of the morality, because of the belief system, because of their environment, because of how they were grown and raised and whatever culture, they have they have one perspective, one route. You went into this thing with trying to get every single perspective, every single point of view, every single facet of this entire thing and trying to make sense of it. 
And, and, and I guess in the journey of that, you, you gained wisdom and you started seeing the world for what it is versus for what it could be. That's right. Or what I thought it was or what you it thought. was. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. huge. Cause I remember, bro, I remember your posts when you first started this journey to how you are now. It is insane to me. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. How much different. And you're so calm and collected and everything that you're saying is thoughtful. Oh my God. I appreciate it. I really appreciate that. That's that's because I have no attachment to who I used to be, or I have no attachment to who I am today. You know what I mean? And, and because I don't mistake my ideas to be who I am. And a lot of people think that their identity is tied to their beliefs, but that doesn't give you any flexibility to form new beliefs and ditch old ones. And, and we're seeing also like all these conversations that we're having and if we're talking about a belief and when people shut down, I instantly know that's because they feel like I'm attacking their identity because it intertwined those beliefs and their identity. So they can no longer have a discussion about an ideal or a belief because it's, if it's proven wrong, it's attack on their ego, it's attack on their idea uh, on their identity. And so I just don't, I just don't internalize or take possession of an idea or a belief. And when I do that, I can hold it out. And we can talk about it. I can spin it around 360 it, look it up and down. And if it's proven to be a good belief and it's going to serve me and the people around me, I'm going to keep it. And if not, I'm going to ditch it, get the new one that you gave me, you know, and it, it just, we just have to get there where, where we just walk around and we're not who we are today. We're not who we used to be. We have the freedom and flexibility to just grow and we don't judge people when they do. We don't, we don't need to understand it. Right. Everyone's on this journey on themselves and we I don't have to package them and, and label them and keep them with who they used to be. Like everyone should be on an elevator, right? Of like, just like, man, let's go to the next level together. And if I figured out how to get there and you're not there yet, shit, let me leave some clues behind me so you can do the same thing. I don't have to take responsibility for you, but I have a responsibility just to humanity to leave some clues, right? And with the movie, that's one of them. And just with my interactions with people or doing podcasts like this, that's that's all I'm trying to do. And when I do it, it's like, shit, I I I, I nailed it. I didn't nail it. Or I learned something new or I'll listen back. I'm like, Holy moly. I don't believe that anymore. Awesome. But if I don't leave clues, I'm not, nobody's learning, you know? Honestly, man, I really think you've like, I, I really think that you've, you've gained some form of enlightenment because you seem devoid of any duality. You, you realize that you're not connected to anything. You, you just, and then the thing that you said to me was that, that our identity isn't necessarily our beliefs. Like I'm, I'm having an aha moment as you're speaking. Yeah. Because God, we, we, as a, we, as a species, we attach ourselves to everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. We really, really do. It, and it's, it's from a sense of survival. And I recognize how privileged I am and you are, and whoever's listening to this, how privileged we are to live where we live. And, you know, if you have the technology to hear this, right. Or if you've got the influence or the, the, intellect to like listen to this then you recognize you have a sense of privilege that you can detach yourself like from the survival mentality of needing to be right right or needing to be in a tribe right and it's 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 in that kind of like recognition of this there is a level of privilege here you know i'm standing in a home where i've got heat and water and i'm gonna go have lunch and get to see my kids there's a there's a really amazing i'm just grateful for it and that gives me the ability to be detached from that need for being in a sense of survival all the time. And as a side journey, man, you know, you spent, you mentioned enlightenment and whatnot. Like, yeah, I've been talking to people in different faiths and different religions and, 
and, you know, like, like mashing together science with psychology, with faith and belief and, and just, just really trying to make sense of the biggest questions that we just don't stop. And, and I used to be kind of scared to be alone because when you're alone, you're hit with you hit with the reality of, of really the most important thing is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. Uh-huh. And, and not a lot of people just give themselves that space. So that time is just filled with everything all the time. And when, when they are, it's scary as shit. That's why it's really great to journal, man. It's a great way to deload. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And some people even use their social media as like a sense of journal. And I don't think people are kind of like, like if you look back, like people kind of journal their lives on social media and that's cool. Yeah, you know? no, totally, and, totally. Whatever, whatever works for you. One thing that, uh, that I've done that actually Mark introduces to me and I do it from time to time when I feel like I'm starting to drift is you go stand in a mirror, find a mirror, go stand in a mirror, snap a photo of yourself in the most natural state looking in the mirror. Yeah. And then write down like three things that that you see in yourself right then and there and be as honest as you possibly can. Like, like the state that you're in, write it down. And then as you collectively do this, you see that even though that you, first of all, you see the, the, the history that you've repeated because there is some history there. Number two, you see the evolution that you've made. And then number three, you also get to identify like you are a human. You've had these collective thoughts and you were going to make mistakes and, uh, and, and sometimes you're in a bad place and sometimes you're in a good place, but it's such a great reflection at, at the current time and that, that you're living right in that current moment to see where you're at, because mm-hmm. journaling is great. Gratitude is great. All of that stuff. And I, to be able to deload and be able to give thanks and be able to understand that we, like you said, we are privileged and like, I'm grateful that I can do this, that my computer works that like, right. I'm going to go, I'm going to go grab some lunch. I have a, uh, you know, I, I have everything that I need within my home in case we get snowed in the next, you know, in the next few days. Yeah. Um, from what I hear from the weather, you know, For sure. so, so, but at the same time, being able to look at yourself introspectively, there's been a couple times, man, where I looked in the mirror and I did not like what I saw same. and I wrote it down anyway. And it was very revealing. Same. It was like, you're standing there naked. You know, I, I'm really going to applaud you. Um, I enjoy, I really sincerely enjoy talking to you um, because anybody that's interested in just more self-awareness, let's not even talk about growth or let's not add any cliche, but just a a deeper sense of self-awareness is somebody that really wants to serve, not just themselves. And because self-awareness comes with like, like recognizing your own demons. And when you have these demons and you ever sense the responsibility to do something about them or else they'll kill you. Right. So self-awareness is really the most important and most powerful thing because that gives you the space to serve something bigger than yourself. Might be your children. It might be your church, might be whatever, but just something bigger than yourself. And all these people are walking around so depressed, not, not clinical depression, but the, the emotion of depression simply comes from from the place of they're focusing on themselves because if you're focusing on yourself, it's easy to get depressed. Like, why am I not there? Why don't I have this job? Why don't I drive this car? Why don't she love me? Like, that's why we're all so fucking depressed. But when you have a self-awareness, you're like, wow, I can get rid of some of those little demons. And then I can have this sense of clarity that you can now make more sense of the way other people are acting, acting around me. And then you can provide the environment for them 
that they have a sense of awareness. That's that to me is just the most beautiful way to walk through the world. And it doesn't, it's not anything else. It doesn't take intelligence to do that. It doesn't take money to do that. It just takes a absolute gross sense of humility. And, and I, I just think that, that humble people are beautiful. Like they're, they're the most, like you, you sound humble to me. You act humble to me. Like that to me is what influence comes from. And, and that to me just gives people that environment of being who they are, not who they think you want them to be. And when you can do that, man, then, then people are going to be less, you know, needing to be right, you know, less needing to project themselves onto you or less, less needing to be in the protective place of ego. And I just, I'm, I just applaud you for, for having that sense of humility, really. I don't know what to say, man. Um, I, I, uh, I'm taken back a little bit. I kind of got a little emotional. I guess my thing with going on this path is that I just didn't like parts of me mm. um, that I wanted to correct, that I knew that there was better parts out there or inside. And I just, the only thing that I knew was figuring out some form of self-discovery and learning everything that I can to develop self-awareness, which I really haven't developed it at all. I, I struggle with it every day. I think there's bits and pieces here and there, but I just, my whole mantra, man, is that I just want to be better every day. And I know that sounds so corny and cliche, but my, my thing that I write every single day in my, in my gratitude journal, my five minute journal is that so like for today, I am grateful for being a better version of myself than I was yesterday. That's literally number one, every single day. And it's like, I'm tr trying to trick my brain into creating the habits, creating the steps that I need in order to be a better version of myself so that I am a better version for my wife and my children and my friends and my clients and whatever the case may be. And it's really tough when you're human to be better, especially when it's really easy not to, you know what I mean? I do. I'm giving you the space to explore this because what you're doing right now will, will be a great roadmap for other people. And, and it's the only thing if I can suggest in the danger of setting the goal of being better that that need to be like consistent and almost be perfect is generally very um, it's a huge obstacle to actually achieving it. And there's all sorts of studies about this. That I don't need to go into, but just know like if, if, if you set the goal of, of achieving something, you don't know what lessons you're, you're missing along the way of just achieving the goal. And, and the goal of like setting, like, for instance, just to speak super cliche, if I say I want to make the million dollars and you make the million dollars, that's why people feel unfulfilled when they make the million dollars because they didn't totally. recognize. Totally. Because you, you didn't pay attention to everything along the way. You didn't I'm pay attention along the way. For me saying that, writing down that I just want to be better than I was yesterday. For me, it's a reminder to make note of my faults and to be aware of the day. Cool. 
then perfect. And that's what's so cool. Like you found something that is working for you and you're doing it, right? Like that, that's the difference because you have a self-awareness around you that you know that's something that you need. Listen, man, I suck at a lot of things. Okay. That's that's, a, that's a reality. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the smartest man in the room. I'm not the hardest working either, but I'm probably one of the most consistent motherfuckers you'll ever meet. I can tell that. And I love that. <laughs> I really, really respect that. That's, that's actually rare too, but it's hard. It's hard. It is. It's really tough. It's really tough. Distractions, you know, Oh, I could do this. I can do that. I want to take a five minute break. I want to do this. I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. creating it's a little tenacity and a little bit of discipline. And then, you know, honestly, man, for me has been surrounding myself with with people like yourself that are little triggered reminders. Like I had three aha moments in this conversation. Good. Me I too. got emotional. I got I was inspired, like the whole thing with the kids creating the environment for them. Like I, I think I do a good job with my children, but I always can do better because I still tell them no, and I'm still making decisions for them, right? I'm telling them what they can and can't do, but I'm, oh, but I'm giving them choices. We do gratitude. There's a lot of things that we do that's positive, but now I want to start shifting into creating. Now they're six, they're twins. So it's a little yeah. bit difficult because two different personalities, one is more receptive. The other one is kind of a looney tune. And, and yeah, so, I love that. I love that. So so creating an environment, can you give me an example? Like, how would you, how, okay, I'll give you an example so that you can give me an example. Okay. Sure. So my, so they're doing, they're doing virtual learning, right? Oh yeah. I have to, I have to separate them in two different areas in the house. One sits in the dining room. The other one sits in the second living room or on their desk or whatever the case may be. And they somehow manage whether across the hall, they somehow manage to argue all the time. I love right? it. They're, they're yeah. sisters, but yeah. they're just nitpicking over everything. What colored pencil they used and well, they weren't supposed to use it and they damaged this and they damaged that. How do I create an environment where they can resolve that situation on their own without me having to step in? Okay. I love this little test. I'll give you a couple little things. And it's I think not this, a test. I'm literally wanting no, to know. No, I love, I love because it, it forces what this does a real world example. There's so many people that walk around with philosophies, right? But they're not able to apply it to actually create an outcome. That's every internet entrepreneur, my friend. Absolutely. And that's why I hate all these philosophical books about all this shit, but they've never done anything with it. I'm like, then then show me. I want to know the people yep. that have done the outcome. That's what I want to learn. Yeah, from. I'm going to so. show you how to make a hundred grand a month. Yeah, by yeah. showing you that I can do that by taking your money and then <laughs> really not giving you the facts totally. on actually how to do it. <laughs> that is. But here's the thing: I would start actually from the place of imprinting the humility. And what I mean by that, so like a little script that I've used with my kids since they've been very little. Like sometimes when we're in a difficult situation. I'll imprint the, the concept of humility by starting up the conversation. Hey, sweetie, I've never been the dad of a six-year-old girl before. You've never been a six-year-old girl before. Let's figure this out together. Okay, that's fucking awesome. You see what I mean? And so I print that level of humility that, that I might give, a, I might not even know, right? Like, like she doesn't know, I might not even know, but I'm going to invite them on a journey defining the solution so that way I, again that I'm, not, I'm trying to be congruency right that blew my mind man <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's that congruency between uh like and creating the environment of like of you need to cre actually create the environment 
Right. You know, you can't say you want it and then step in and then tell them, don't do this and let's do that. And no, hey, listen, you've never been a six-year-old girl before. I've never been the dad of a six-year-old girl before. Let's figure this out together. What's going on? And and so it's it's that like that imprinting of that humility that generally then all of a sudden they'll actually come up with a better solution you ever will. They might come up with something like, oh my gosh, I can only do this from 11, then she can do it at one, or like, hey, let's like 30 minutes through, let's switch the green crayon on the yellow crayon, whatever it is. Like mm-hmm. they'll come up with something. You know, if you engage with them on the journey of finding the solution, not mandating the solution. And then they become critically thinking as, as the side benefit, right? They don't become robots. Um, they don't be, just become rule followers. Right? Dude, I, I love it because that's not, <clears throat> that's not what I'm trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. I want them to break rules and not in the sense of being destructive. I want them to break rules so that they can think outside of the box. They can think for themselves. They can, they can decipher these problems and, and resolve them on their own. That's right. And, and recognizing what's a rule of man, what's a, what's, what's a rule of, let's say physics, just yeah. to, just to yeah. use, you know, like, yeah. you know, it's funny. I, I've never said this before out loud, but as you were speaking, this hit me, how I view religion and faith is that re- religion is essentially the tool that gives us the ability to make sense of the world. And, Hallelujah. Thank you. And, but faith is the tool that gives us the ability to make sense of ourselves. Oh my God. And, and I've never said it in those worlds, in those words, but that's how I've come to kind of understand that the, the separation between those two and they're very powerful tools, both of them. Yeah. Sometimes they cross over. Sometimes they don't. Right. Some, sometimes that's why people convert quote unquote, convert from one religion to another, like yeah. you've done. And it just helps you as you, as, as where you sit now in the body and the mind and the energy and the influence that you sit in now, that's what makes sense of the world through Christianity for you. But your faith is yeah. separate. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 1000%. And who knows, is this going to be a forever thing? I have no idea. I have no idea, but you're right. Like where I'm sitting right now, this is the thing that's moving the needle, right? It's the thing that I can connect to that I can feel, you know, that's right. And, and that's beauty in that. And that's why I don't, that's why I don't ever engage in a, in a, in a debate about religion. I'll engage in a discussion about it. Oh yeah. But, but I'll never debate religion. No, I've, I've found most extremists lie in religion. Yeah. Well, and, and let's put politics in the, in the, in the oh, category yeah. of religion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it is a religion, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's why I don't really, I'm myself. I don't, I don't bother with it. Like it's for me, it's not for me to, to, I mean, the whole thing is like, you got to preach the word, whatever. I'm like, listen, because I, I will say this. I despise organized religion. Okay. I think, uh, and, and the reason why is because I believe in, in anything that I, any congregation, any religion that I've been a part of, they, they demonize you when you don't abide by the rules and they only reward you if you're a nice little soldier. That's my perspective from it. And I don't, I don't like that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's what God had intended, you know, and, 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 and my personal opinion. And so. I have my own connection. I have my own faith. It's for me. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't advertise it. <clears throat> I don't try to throw it down other people's throats. It's for me. It's my thing. It's my connection. It's my, I guess my tool, right? My way of living my world and going down my path. And I think if people viewed it from that perspective, it, it, it wouldn't be because dude, like I come from a land where 99% of the wars were religious based. Absolutely. All the time. And you know why? Because it's, emotion, it's emotional. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And so you take this mass and the other observation I've been, been making about attending these protests and riots and the same thing with religious wars is that that virus or that disease of this madness is very, very rare when a person is by themselves and an individual, but it becomes the default in a group. And that's why we see, like you heard that you hear the term mob mentality, herd mentality, you see, well, the mob changed and I'm watching it time and time again, that all these people come, they're like laughing and joking and they come from their cars, they're hanging out and they start together and then the drums start beating and the energy, the energy starts shifting and then the music's playing and then somebody starts yelling and then an explosion goes off and then it just turns. And the madness takes over in a group like it does not take over an individual. And that's what happens in religion. That's what happens in politics. And that's what happens at these protests and riots. And it, it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they're fucking human beings. And since they're a human being, you're fallible. And, and a lot of people just forget like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm right and they're wrong. Then I, then I ask a question, I'll be like, okay, does that mean that, that people can be wrong because you say they're wrong? Yes, it does. Well, then do they think they're wrong? And then you're right. Yes, that's true. Okay, then how do you know you're on the right side? And then we start just talking about it. And if they can firmly explain it, and explain, then great. Then a lot, but that doesn't mean that they need to try and convert the people. And we keep like talking through these, these little nuances of, of recognize our fallibility. If we recognize our fallibility, we have to be hum- you know, humble about it. And if we're humble about it, then we start to give grace. And it's not about this bullshit of finding the middle ground and let's come together. It's more about civility. It's more about the, the actual pragmatic sense of coexistence, Right. And, and so this whole package things are like, let's come together and meet in the middle. I'm like, man, that does, that's not fucking real. That's a fake little, let's like, let's set our shit aside and then pretend like we'll, we'll be good for a while. And then we'll not be good for a while. We'll be good. That's why, you know, things like cycle. But if we create a sense of civility and real coexistence, right. That's a mm-hmm. whole nother level, man. That's just a whole nother level. And I just hope that we get there. Amen, man. I just got to say, this has been, this has been one of the longest podcasts I've done. One, yeah, of, one of the most, no, 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 no. I, I can literally go for another two hours with you right now. Yeah. Like no, no, no joke. And it has been one of the most prolific. It's been one of the most eye-opening. and my greatest takeaways so far are number one, creating an environment for your children so that they can make their own decisions that I'm telling you, I'm taking that to the grave that has been imprinted on me. And yeah. then n- number two has been, this sense of enlightenment where you, you, you don't hold yourself to any barrier. You're not anchoring your chain to any beliefs. That's so huge. I can only imagine the, the lightened load. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you absolutely. know, and, and if I'm able to even just understand 20% of that concept and start living my life from that perspective. And those of you that are listening, if you guys can take away from that, that is so huge. Like imagine just, just living life with 20%, you know, lighter weight that has been sitting on your shoulders, pushing you down, weighing you down and just completely releasing that 20%. It's not a lot, but it's enough to make a big difference in your life. And And, go ahead. And what's so cool about that, that comes from a place of commitment. And I think people can misunderstand that as not being committed to your beliefs or what, no, no, no. That becomes the place of commitment for the real truth. Like when you're really committed to that, then the, then the, these little teeny nuances and expressions and temporary beliefs can come and go. But when people are like so committed to holding a belief, that's toxic, right? And the most dangerous idea you have is the only one you have. 
And, and all these great philosophers uh-huh. have, have always said that like, you can't teach a man what they already know. Right. And so when you just recognize that it's because I'm committed, right. To the, the, to the collective, I'm committed to myself I'm committed to my family and I'm committed to the collective. Then you don't have to be committed to a singular idea or a singular egotistical belief. Right. Bro, bro. So, I, I, my greatest thing from that is God, I love that so much. First and foremost, secondly, like, okay, I'm going to relate it to the gym because that's the thing that I love. Yeah. There are a myriad of exercises, right? But the fundamentals are the barbell squat, the barbell deadlift, the barbell bench press, overhead press. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. You can throw in pull-ups and things like that in variation. But then you've got so many different variations of the squat. You've got the low bar squat, the high bar squat, the Zercher squat, yeah. the sum, you know, so yeah. on and so forth. Sure. But but then you have variations of those variations. And then you get people all the time that are like, well, that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're not supposed to go that. It's not supposed to be that high. You're supposed to be that low or blah, 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 so on and so forth. And I'm like, there's a method to everything that you do, right? There's a method to the madness. Maybe if some person isn't reaching depth, it's because they have a back issue, whatever the case may be. Or maybe you should try it because it can increase your overall strength 20% just by going an inch or two above parallel because you're 20% stronger in that method. And then it'll also carry over to the squat. But people are so close-minded that, like you said, like their beliefs are their beliefs and that that's all that they know. So everything else is wrong. That's right. Everything else is incorrect. That's not the way that you're supposed to do things. That is the idealistic approach that we should throw away. Absolutely. And in every that. facet, in every facet, but yeah. because you're committed to being better. That's why. That's why. And, and instead of committing to being right. And that just teeny little tweak will not just like relieve 20%. I might really 50. I don't know, but just that little nuance is everything of, of choosing what you're committed to actually. And, and too many people are just committed to being right. Um, and, and that little teeny little lesson is probably the, the most impactful thing that I've learned this last year of the dangers of being committed to being right. Go to habitsofthefew.com. 